Hi everyone, it's Libby, and I'm flying solo today because our dear Nielsey had a conflict, but and we will miss him desperately. But um, that's probably better because I'm so excited about our guests. I don't know if I'd let him get a word in edgewise. Um, today we have our first chef on, and what better chef to have than the James Beard Award-winning chef Chris Shepard? Hi, how are you? Hi, good. <laughs> and his lovely publicist, as as well as girlfriend. Lindsey Brown. Hello. With Lindsey Brown PR. H-Town Lindsey Brown. It's good to have you here. <laughs> Thank you for having us. <laughs> We're so excited. This is awesome. It's like our first dual interview. <laughs> I like it. Conversation. It's great. <laughs> Y'all had a busy weekend. We did. We're coming off of a busy weekend we just discussed. Yeah, it was great. Um, Blackberry Farm was in town. And they y'all were. had a couple delicious lunches and dinners yeah. at your restaurant it was really nice because you know last year they asked if we would come out and cook and to see what they do and to see how they you know really come from where they're at and show their their area was really fantastic and to see to ask hey would you guys like to come out and do the same thing with us so we can you know return the favor yeah we're like yeah absolutely so they got to see houston through our eyes, yeah, which is really cool because we get to see, you know, the the edge of the Smoky Mountains through their eyes. And yes. so it was nice. It was fun. And that's a family farm, right? It's yeah. A, I mean, it's a family kind of production, and the, yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, so, Chris, we're going to talk a little about your your life thus far. That's weird. All right. <laughs> um, so, Midwest raised. Yeah, born in Nebraska, raised in Oklahoma. Okay, and what brought you to Houston? Culinary school. Okay, the um, Art Institute. Yeah. It was, you know, at one point in my life, I was at Tulsa Junior College, and they had asked, I might be the only person that is, maybe, that I feel like I am, that they've ever asked this, maybe you should take some time off and not do this. (laughs) (laughs) Like, all right. I like it. It it didn't entertain me. Yeah. You know, going to biology classes and computer classes and and just- Neil and I can relate to that. We have a lot of, like, what didn't happen in college moments on the show. Yeah, it 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 didn't work. You know, and uh, I realized at that point that I wasn't ever going to do anybody's taxes right. or operate on them or, <laughs> um, you know, get and them the out of trouble. the culinary world or, is yeah. glad that you're not doing anyone's taxes. Yeah. So I took, a, I took a job as a dishwasher in a sushi bar. Okay. In Tulsa? In Tulsa. Okay. And did that for, you know, at, you know, washing dishes, but also like peeling shrimp. Okay. And then eventually they let me in the kitchen. And so I started working in the kitchen. I tried to learn as much as I possibly could. And I was like, I like this. Okay. And I asked if I could work at the sushi bar because I wanted to learn that. And the guy was like, you're really not what people expect when they, you know, come <laughs> into a sushi bar and tell us. I was like, I get it. I get it. Well, well said. And he was like, you need to go to culinary school. And this my, is the owner or the mm-hmm. chef? Okay. And um, my parents had moved down here because my dad was in the oil business. Okay. And so I started looking around. I was like, you know what? There's a school I want to check check out in Houston. And I realized that like you could go to the CIA or you could go to Johnson Wales or, but then it's it's really all about the curriculum's all the same for the most part. Okay, it depends on the person. That that's teaching. No, or the, per- the, oh, person the person taking the class. Gotcha. And you're only going to go as far and as hard as you want to work. Okay. Because it's not for the faint of heart. No, no, it's it's a romantic thing. Right. You know, people are like, I'm going to go learn how to cook. <laughs> All right, well, now you're going to go work 16 to 20 hours a day. How do you feel about that? For you're a lot. Like, hey. And you're not right. going to make any money. Right. So all these really expensive loans that you have to pay back and things like that, like, 
it takes a long time. Yeah, and I don't know if the bottom tier chefs get treated all that well. Oh, they do. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's sure just it's, do, it's grunt but... work. You know, it's a lot of work. But like, you go to you spend forty to sixty thousand dollars on culinary school, and then you come out and you basically can be a dishwasher or a prep cook. You, you know, and that's that's how it works. You can't yeah. get out of school and you're like, oh yeah, I'm a chef now. Like that shit right. doesn't work. <laughs> It just doesn't. Sorry. No, that's <laughs> we're, we're we're all warmed up on the show. That all just the doesn't time. work. And so, um, so I came down here and decided to go to school and work as hard as I could. And I moved in with my parents. And you know, it was one of those things: get up at five in the morning, get to school at seven, and work, go to school, and then be at work by three, and then work till eleven or midnight. Go home, do homework, wow. get to bed by one or two, and then get up at five. In culinary school, is two ish years. Yeah, when I was there, it was one and a half. I don't know okay. what it is now. I think it's still... Okay. Yeah. Wow. And so what was your first job out of culinary school in Houston? Or was it in Houston? It, well, I worked at Houston Country Club for a little bit. Okay. Um, and then I worked at a place down in Clear Lake, and then I bounced up to uh, Bentwater Country Club. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why I went the Country Club route. <laughs> Really? <laughs> so on the like catering <clears throat> side of things? Like, you know, running banquets. And, and banquets, yeah. okay. Cooking for members, I think everybody kind of when they start their career kind of works in a country club aspect thing, and um, you know I learned a lot. But um, you know my best friend who I sat down in school with, Randy Evans, uh, was working at Brennan's. Okay, and so he would he lived. I mean, I was in Conroe, for God's sake, and he lived in Willis, but worked in Houston, and would come home. You know, every once in a while on his way home from work, would stop at the house and be like, "Man, we did five hundred tonight," and I was like, "Man, I put out a." Enchilada buffet. <laughs> like, this sucks. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I decided that uh, I was going to bite the bullet, and he took me in for dinner Okay. one night, and Mark Holly, who has Holly's now, mm-hmm. basically had all the menus laid out at the end of dinner, and was like, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your career? And I was just like, oh. <laughs> was he the chef at the time? He was the executive sous, yeah. Okay. And I was like, I'm going to work here? <laughs> and he was like, that's what I wanted you to say. I was like, okay, two weeks notice, I'm there. You Good know. answer. And so I started there and worked there for nine years. So you were at Brennan's for nine years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, what seven of it in the kitchen. and Seven in the kitchen and two running the wine program. Okay, so you moved over to the wine program. Yeah. Wow. Okay, mm-hmm. what brought that on or that interest? I felt like um, if I was going to ever own my own place, then I would have to understand what customer interaction was. Because, you know, in the back, you're just like, Somebody, one, wow. of the, one of the managers comes back and says, well, table 42 doesn't like this. And you're like, well, tell them to go. Right. You know? And they're like, no, <laughs> you tell them that. And I'm like, all right, you're right. I right. can't really do that. And so to understand more about customer service and understand the wine philosophy and how wine interacts with food and to really grasp the entire business. Wow. I feel like that's such a great um, initiative that you had to do that because like you're saying, most chefs are kind of back there from my experience. Yeah. It's like, you know, we're, back a house it was when we did a myers-briggs thing at four seasons mm-hmm. and it was like our salespeople and chefs and catering people and then there was accounting department like there were 16 quadrants and we were all like all the chefs were in the same quadrant yeah. and it was like you know um introvert plus whatever yeah they huddle together right they totally huddle yeah. together and they do their thing and they do it quietly and do it really well and meticulously but you know the customer interaction is kind of what the salespeople are they want to see yeah. yeah so that's so Interesting. And so from the wine program at Brennan's, you moved on to... Catalan. Catalan. Yeah, because it was at the point where I it was really questionable of things. Like, will I ever be able to get back in the kitchen? Is it, am I, Will I be taken seriously doing that? 
or am I, you know, just going to work the front of the house? Because like, because didn't you say you felt out of place with both? Yeah. Like the front of the house thought of him as a cook, and the right. back of the house thought of him as the wine yeah. guy. I'm yeah. sure the shift internally was. It was really weird. It was a really weird place in my life because it was like. I don't know if I'll, like I put my toes through the door. I don't know if I can ever go back. You right. know? I don't know if I'd ever be like would have the opportunity. And Charles Clark and Grant Cooper from Ibiza uh-huh. came to me. They're like, "You see it. You can see what people need, and you can still cook. That's what we want." And so they asked me if I wanted to go over to Catalan and run the kitchen there. And I was like, "Yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. You know." That is so cool. And so my, my way to get back into it. And, and so you became head chef at Catalan. Yeah, yeah, and that was kind of the first. I mean, like, there's BCN now. There's a couple other like Spanish-inspired restaurants, but that was kind of the first. Well, Abiza did right, and and they really wanted something that, like we when we did it, it was like I th- I don't know. It was like we want to do true Spanish, but you really can't do that right. not at that time because the products weren't around and available, and so it was like let's just take the mentality of that area about bringing in their local aspects of things and let's focus on that and use not the food product but the thought process and, and inspire and highlight where we are mm-hmm. and so that's where things like breaking down pigs and goats and so that's where that started yeah. for you yeah which you've taken to another level yeah, just to a different place totally different right. place yeah right <laughs> and you know we, we focused on a lot of farmers but it was um, you know it was long it was hard yeah. But it was a learning, you know, it was still like we needed to have a filet on the menu. We needed right. to do a salmon dish and we needed right. to do this because, like, you can only push people so far at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, your, cus- your, cus- your your guests, to learn. But once they start to learn, then you can kind of tweak them in a different direction. Yeah, and point them in the right direction, yeah. which once, I feel like it's about trust. Well. Yeah. It's about trust. And, like, once they understand that they can trust me for that, then they'll move a little bit further. And I think that was one of the restaurants that really. Uh, push new ingredients and new thought processes. Interesting. It was fun, you know. Yeah, and Catalan was around for uh, five years. Five. I years. was there for four. Okay, you were there for four, and then you went straight into Underbelly after. Yeah. Okay, so that Underbelly's been open for five years. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and we have so much to talk about just about Underbelly, but you, um, that was your first restaurant where yeah. you were. Yeah, where I had like, autonomy of the, yeah. the menu and um, could really just fly by the seat of my pants and kind of do what I wanted, you and know. Everything from build out to menu to yeah, it menu. was. I wanted to see how that was done. You know, I got to see a little bit of it with Catalan, but it was still, you know, it, there was a, a thought process that needed to stay. Right. Right. Consistent. And with underbelly, it was one of these things like I just want to focus on the city and focus on where we're at. And, I want to. I still think it's probably. I don't know of any other restaurants that really just only do whole animal. Right. I mean. So you use everything, snout to tail. That's the term. Is that correct? It is, but like, you don't ever get a cow's head. You know, you don't get the. When people say that, they think, man, there's going to be a lot of organ meat, and there's going to be a lot. I mean, we just don't get that. Right. I mean, the USDA inspectors kind of keep that separate. Like it gets when it gets harvested, that gets set aside, and I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Well, someone uh, made a comment at the Blackberry Farm dinner that they told their husband that it was going to be all awful. And that just tells <laughs> me that they are they don't exactly still know what underbelly is right. at this point. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's more of a thought process because it's like it was 
I knew we were going to do goats and pigs and lamb, and we wanted to put the smaller butcher shop in the back. And I didn't want to have a produce company for the most part. And it was a change when I was talking to one of my meat purveyors, and I was like, well, I want we're going to do this like if i can get boxes if we're going to do box beef then i want to make sure that i get like an entire cow right right i want to i want it all and the guy was like well i can get you ribeyes and tenders and strips and some other stuff but why does it really matter about the other stuff and i was like it does matter right and so that was when the decision um to go whole steer and to bring in whole um the whole cow but this is not i mean this isn't something that was being done or like you're saying it's being done i mean you're kind of pioneering the way of this ethical treatment. Yeah, it, it's become, you know, it was a, it's not a cost thing by any means. It was more of a respect thing. Right. And we still believe in that. But I think that, um, you know, it got to the point where we were getting a steer every week and it was easy for the cooks. And so I, I decided like they would focus on just certain parts. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not the way we're doing this. So I cut it back to every other week. So that they would have to struggle. So they would have to learn how to use other everything parts. You know, because when you just get in, you're like, oh, we have ribeyes every week, right. we have primals every week. <laughs> it makes it easy. But then when you have to actually like, you know, we, now you have to use a terrace major. Now you have to learn like a cow has an ima- like such a large amount of flat meat on it, right? Like uh, hanger steaks and not hanger steaks, but um, like fajita meat, and, you know, skirt steak and you know, short rib meat. Like there's so much of it on there that takes you know, a lot then, of creativity. Like, the biggest part of the cow are the hind legs. So now right. guess what? You got to figure that out, you know? Right. So, um, <laughs> just makes it a little bit more difficult for them and that's to help them learn. That's so cool. It's been fun. And the menu changes daily, daily. Cause an animal only has so many parts. That's right. And farmers only pick so much. Right. So. And you use local farms. I mean, I know we'll yeah. talk a little bit more about that. Um, that is so exciting. And I know that the menu for Underbelly, I mean, you're such a, I mean, you're a fan of Houston food. You're a fan mm. of things that, I mean, you've introduced Houstonians to countless types of food, I feel like. And like you're, it, and I think one of the coolest things is you're like, I didn't invent this. Like no. this has been happening for generations and generations. You're just like you're saying, you're kind of training the customer to, they trust you. And so maybe when they trust you, they'll go find something else. Yeah. I mean, that was the idea when we opened it was that we wanted to highlight and respect um, the cultures that exist in our city and not to steal from it, but to, to get people to understand a flavor that they might like, you know, and, and whether it's through gochujang or fish sauce or yeah, what fermented bean paste or whatever it's like now you can taste this and now you should go try it at this place right and get them to understand that there's because it underbelly underbelly is not about us it's about the city and it's about the people that are here and that's the story and the philosophy behind it it's like we want people to understand who all are who's here and why they're here and where to get these things and to understand that when you walk into someplace not to feel uncomfortable yeah. Because you don't know. Right. But to feel excited to learn something new about something that you didn't know. It's about embracing people and their culture for who they are. And all that they've brought to this great Absolutely. city. And you're such it's what makes Houston what it is. Right. Which is the best cup circuit really until, <laughs> I want to say until Lindsay, <laughs> which we'll get into next 15 minutes. Um, and we will be right back with Chris and Lindsay. Cool. 